1: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Indie Football Podcast. Once again, rising above the noise after a busy weekend in the Premier League and probably more importantly, uh, the Carabao Cup, um, the final of which we saw uh, on Sunday and at which two of the men alongside me were present. So uh, without further ado, may I introduce Miguel Delaney, Chief Football Writer of The Independent. Hello, Miguel. Hello. How are you? Good, good, yeah. No, excellent. Uh, thank you for coming in today. Just 27 minutes late. What? No, Jack, I, I, 17, uh, 17. Jack, who was uh, earlier than Miguel, Jack Pitbrook, welcome. Barely. I would have resigned
2: if if I'd been late to Miguel.
1: No, you would have been forced to resign, uh, which is slightly different, but uh, yeah, otherwise similar. I think uh, we should probably start with, I mean, it was the big game in terms of trophies, in terms of importance and stuff. Man United-Chelsea, though, it felt like had more build-up this weekend. Mm. But I will leave it out to you guys. Which one do you want to go but with first?
0: There was more narrative value, to more, there's more storylines to Chelsea United given everything had happened, and I suppose given the situations of the two clubs in which, I suppose, both had relatively underwhelming times lately. Although Chelsea had kind of rallied before the game with the draw against Barca.
1: we remember a month ago mm. when that, ra- that route really flared up with the yeah. Cementa de Nile, the yeah. little man, the clown, we'll all see, these yeah, comments yeah. Um, went on between the little war of words. And I can't remember which one it was. It might have been Conte. said, I'll see him out there. Like, February 26th, you know, mm. we'll be out there. That's the thing. It didn't have that feel. No. It had completely lost that momentum. There was just
0: enough distance. And I was too much to happen in the meantime. Although, very magnanimous of Mourinho to declare it over once he'd won the game. Yes. Yeah.
2: Right. No. Yeah, it was like, as <laughs> ever with Mourinho, my favourite... M- there's nothing better than when Mourinho thinks he's being sincere. Yes, when yes. Mourinho thinks he's being humble or modest, because obviously he's, he's the least sincere, mm. humble, or modest person in the world. <laughs> uh, and so when he tries when he tries to make these big gestures, they just fall. I mean, they look ludicrous.
1: A, a veneer of sincerity that comes after Miguel. What you'd have to say? Uh, probably one of his better wins as Man United boss. Well,
0: I'd heard this morning that he personally feels it's his most one of the most satisfying wins. At United, not just because he's beating someone he had that spat with, because in terms of how the players followed his instructions, they came from behind, uh, and I think connected to that, this and this was notable, especially in the second half. Um, it wasn't a game which they kind of played for more conservatively for draw. Even like it was, they were much more proactive than against Spurs. Say when they also won, uh, and I think some of that was because he could. This was a game maybe he knew that. He couldn't play for a. I couldn't be seen to play for a draw. Do
2: you think there's a basis in that second half performance for, you know, the United to improve over the over the the rest of this season and into the next one?
0: Um, maybe actually, well, I think what was maybe good for everyone as well. Uh, Pogba played, didn't do anything too flashy or spectacular, but put in more, a very disciplined performance, and as if kind of, it, it, it was as if both he and Mourinho had come to kind of an uh, an agreement in that sense. Um, and I think that that was that was key, given a lot of the debate of the last week.
1: What, we'll, what we will do actually is we'll we'll dial up Mark Critchley, who is at Old Trafford, um, get his thoughts on the game in a little yeah. bit. Um, I was watching this is a, a slight diversion. I was watching the game uh, with someone who's not particularly well versed in football. And I was explaining kind of <laughs> Chelsea in the Abramovich era. Yeah. Um, they actually have probably been one of the most interesting clubs in England over that period. They have had so many, uh, they've been at the center of so many stories. I was yeah. explaining, you know, the, the Mourinho departure that you wrote about last week in, in 2007. Mm-hmm. The Mourinho meltdown in, in 2015. But then all the other things I've had in between, you've had like an interim manager. The 20s, Roberto Di Matteo winning the Champions League, yeah. an utterly ludicrous thing to happen. Uh, they've won the Europa as well. Yeah.
0: You know, they've, they, they've had a race storm. Had, yes, they have. Yeah, they've had one of their players shooting a, 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 an apprentice with an air rifle or something like that. Yeah, no, yeah. It's,
2: they had AVB. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, as, <laughs> as, as Luz Felipe Scolari, yeah. two two tries of Goose Hiddenk, Avram Grant reaching the Champions League <laughs> final. That's
1: what I mean. Like, they, they Chelsea have been for the last 10 15 years. Arguably the most interesting cover I mean, in England. I mean, it's been I mean, the most I mean, like a soap opera, At, at, the, it?
0: at the very start, given, given all of this, even when you consider how it started as well, when, when Abramovich first came, that summer 2003, I remember like, when we, he was kind of, it was like someone had just pressed cheat on Championship Manager or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, goes, yeah. Well, hang on, have to sign on how many players? Damien
1: Duff for 17 mil! Yeah, it was, Cole, it was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you not think, like, uh, my rough point that I was making, uh, mm. kind of when I was thinking out loud during that was, The only other club that's been consistently interesting throughout, because I think Chelsea basically haven't gone through a period where they weren't interesting in that time, are Manchester United because they had Fergie all the way till Moyes. Which meant they were always competing. Yeah, so that was always interesting. The Moyes era era was interesting for a completely different reason because it was just a complete dumpster fire. Yeah. Then you had Van Gaal, which was probably the the, the dullest point they went through.
0: But but Van Gaal himself made it quite interesting.
1: The the, the point was the football was terrible, Mm. but... The, the goings-on and like kind of the, the politics at the, around the club were very interesting. And then now, Jose Mourinho can't fail to be box office. You know, the, the, the best thing that could happen in terms of them being interesting next is he has another meltdown and gets fired. But we'll see if it, if it plays out the same way as it did at Chelsea. I just think it, it, these two clubs that we saw, the reason this game was built up is because these have been the two most interesting clubs in the Premier League for probably 15 years now. Mm. You know, Manchester City have won leagues. Arsenal have, have done Bits and Bobs trophies uh, here and there. Liverpool have been there and thereabouts. Spurs have become interesting, yeah. but virtually solely because of Mauricio Pochettino, you know, but before like the Sherwood stuff was a bit of a joke and then Harry Redknapp, mm-hmm. Benne- whatever. So it just struck me that this game is two of the most kind of storied yeah. sides around. And it did lose the heat that we had in January. The the spit between the two game uh, the, the two managers, and they were saying things that you don't usually say about other managers. Mm-hmm. And do you think that there was a deliberate attempt to take the heat out of this because it was only going to end badly for both of them if it, if they came into this really kind of spitting flames?
2: I imagine that both managers realised how unedifying it was what happened in January, yeah. and realised they kind of had nothing to gain. Like you don't have anything to gain by ramping up. The mm. only thing, the only way you win that argument is by winning the game. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. by saying if they. If you know, there are other places that they could have gone, they could have mm. referred to other incident bad things that each manager's done in his career in their press conferences on Friday. But if you do that and then don't win, you look even worse. Yeah. They you both have look, skeletons, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they. they both tried to do the same thing, which is say nothing and win. Mm. But ultimately it was Mourinho not Conte that managed to and do I think that. Oh,
0: even in the build up to the game, i feel like if it's a month gone, it kind of you know, with every week or every day, the impact of the word lesson impact of the words lessens in terms of how it can be thrown back on you. But if it's reignited like two days before the match their press conferences, then if you lose, everything you can say can be thrown right back in your face. Yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, you can kind of, as frustrating as it was to be at Conte's press conference on Friday when you got no, no interest in that. And, and and there wasn't an element of hypocrisy to it. I mean, Matt Barlow of the Mail asked uh, Conte like, uh, how is it okay to talk about this a month ago but not now? Which is an entirely yeah. reasonable question. But at the same time, there's also a reasonable response. And
1: uh, before we talk about the game itself which we should do i guess um (laughs) let's dial up uh critch in the north our our northern football correspondent uh who is at old trafford with johnny lou johnny's on holiday this week uh so we'll just get the critch version and uh he should be give me just a second he should be on the phone now uh hello critch how are you doing
3: yeah i'm good highs of a temperate three degrees celsius in manchester today so i'm all well
1: good to hear mate good to hear um i guess going into the game pogba was the big talking point um what do you think of his day overall?
3: Yeah, well, the funny thing about Poppy right now is that just after he's been punished and demoted by Mourinho, injuries have meant that not only does Mourinho have to play him, but he has to play him on the left-hand side of a midfield three, which is what a lot of supporters and journalists have been asking for, to the extent that it became a bit of a meme recently. But the same thing happened in Seville as well, and he didn't play that great there. Now... Yesterday was better. He made a slow start like every other United player and you wouldn't say that he imposed himself on the game at any point like he did at Everton on New Year's Day, for example. But I think after that sudden dip that he had in recent weeks, he wanted to see gradual progress yesterday and he provided that. And now it feels like if Herrera is out for a few weeks, if Mourinho has few other options to turn to, then the sting has been taken out of this Pogba situation for now at least.
1: And you've written something this morning on Romelu Lukaku, who finally came up big in a game that mattered. Thanks for sniffing through the the phone call, Miguel. Um, Tell us a little bit about about Lukaku and and his performance.
3: Yeah, the piece I wrote basically talks about how Lukaku looked re-energised yesterday because I don't think we can judge his first year at United without taking into account that this is a guy who was featured in all but two of United's games, playing almost every minute without any adequate backup. That was fine at the beginning of the campaign and it just so happened that United were given a kind start by the fixer computer, but the signs of fatigue were there during the winter and that's when United came up against the rest of the big six. Now, Lukaku wasn't even scoring against the likes of Huddersfield and Brighton at that point, so you couldn't even call him a flat-track bully. He just looked shattered. Uh, But as the schedule has eased slightly into the new year, his forms picked up too. And yesterday he was lively, he was busy. He basically made the goal happen and then created the second. Now, it's about whether there's more to come against the top six. His record against them for Everton was 15-58, which is by no means fantastic, but not disgraceful either, considering he's often on the weaker side. And at United, the big caveat to all this is Mourinho's big game approach and how that affects Lukaku's play. But I think yesterday you saw that he is capable of doing it.
1: OK, and after all of it, what do you think the actual outlook is for United now? Like, you know, Is this the top four sealed for them?
3: I wouldn't say top four is sealed. Uh, I still think that the problem with this team all year has been that it has rolled its look a little it's ran a little hot. Um De Gea, who was pretty poor yesterday, in fact. Well, most of the time he's actually had to bail them out on too many occasions. And you saw that the looks started to turn recently at St James's Park. Now, you know, don't get me wrong, the spread's six points. You know, it should close it out from here. But if you're gonna rank the four of those teams in terms of quality, I think I personally would rate Liverpool and Tottenham slightly higher at the moment. Uh, on paper, they certainly have the simpler run-ins. It may well come down to United and Chelsea, and in that case, I'd just about back them to get over the line, but I don't think it's by any means a certain thing yesterday, no.
1: And also, just before you go, mate, uh, i just interested, because you don't get to see Chelsea much, I guess, being up north, um, What did you think of? what do you think of them tonight? What do you think of of them after a big game where they've kind of taken the lead, fallen behind, and what do you think Conte's prospects are?
3: Uh, Chelsea, weird. Uh, Very strange performance to peter out like that, having started so well, to lose to a team that they initially looked much, much better than. Um, I think the biggest challenge Conte faces now is building and sustaining momentum because second half, there was just an air of resignation around them yesterday. Now, um, I suppose that's hard to avoid when everyone's convinced that your manager's going to resign, but... That second half was the first time I've watched them this season where Conte properly felt like a stopgap before the next one comes along. Um, I, I rate him highly. I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that he conjures up something special at New Camp or perhaps they win the FA Cup. But that performance began to feel a little deathly, as though something was approaching its natural end. And it's something he needs to arrest if Chelsea want to be in the Champions League again next year.
1: And I guess that's a point, Jack, is that Chelsea do need to be in the Champions League. That is, for Roman Abramovich, an absolute, you know, I don't know, it's a, it's a key pillar of the club, right?
2: Yeah, massively. I think it, w- it would be such a... Um, it's funny, like Ars- Arsenal and Manchester United have had their times out of the Champions League and Liverpool, but for some reason, Chelsea feel like more of a... With the exception of that, the Mourinho season, as we call it, they've always otherwise been there. And the whole Chelsea managerial model as in getting in a new guy every two or three years for a relaunch is done really to maintain those high standards and not to let the club drift. So if they do fall into the Champions League, especially sorry, after the Champions League, especially having won the title, uh, especially having won the title last season, it would obviously be a big blow to the to the self-esteem of the club. Uh, be, be Curious. And a kind of mark against Conte as well, I think.
1: If if Conte comes in after, he came in after year 2016, right? Wins the league first season. uh, potentially fifth in his second season and then leaves how do you think his time at Chelsea would be judged that's a good question I think obviously well because
2: winning the Premier League is hard lots of very good Mm. managers have tried to do it Uh, you know Klopp hasn't done it yet Pochettino hasn't done it yet Guardiola
0: hasn't done it yet also given the situation he took over from yeah Yeah, like to be honest I think Ultimately, he's come to England he's proved himself. He's won it. That'll stand to him. Regard, And he can always Completely point yeah, to yeah. the complications of Chelsea. Right. As well.
2: Like last, like winning, let's say they come sixth and he leaves at the end of the season, whatever. Like last season will always massively outweigh this season. Like there's no sense that the two, out, that the two balance each other. Yeah. Winning the league is much better than coming sixth is bad. Um, so, you know, he will then go on to, I don't know, Real Madrid or back to the Italy national or, team yeah, or yeah. a big job in Serie A. And he'll continue to do really well. Like this is a guy that's won three Serie A's and one Premier League. Um I think an an, an interesting question, apart from what it means for Conte, is what does it mean for Chelsea? Like, what can they... Once Conte goes, what do they do next? I I, I think that the Conte cycle shows that this is probably kind of the ceiling for Chelsea. Mm. Like, they're never going to be able to... or I don't think they are going to be able to compete with the very richest teams in Europe when it comes to signing the the very best players. And equally, they're not going to... I don't think that... They're going to get a manager who can build over a five-year cycle. Like they're all, it's going to. This is as good as it gets, basically. Yeah. Get a good manager, push for the league. Manager gets a bit bored. Get a new guy in, and this is kind of. It's I hard. think this is as good as, the, as it gets for well, them I, now. I
0: was talking to someone close to uh, who knows Roman Abramovich quite well the other day, uh, from the football side, and he was saying that Abramovich actually, I mean, as much as Chelsea have been reined in. Some of that, a lot of that has been to do with um, advice from people close to Roman at Chelsea rather than his decision. And, it, and there's still a belief that, depending on his mood, depending on how one season goes, next summer probably or the following summer, he could just make the decision, okay, let's go big again. Uh, and I yeah. think the money is there and they can, they can still um, comply with FFP. Uh, and also, there's the kind of logic being pointed out that what Chelsea say spent. Whatever amount on three kind of seven out of ten squad squad players to a to a certain degree in in January, whereas why is just throw all that money towards one big star, and the multiplication effect in the team is probably bigger. Who do you, G- given given how important Hazard is, say. So, I mean, out of
1: ten, what each would you give it? Conte's not there the first day of next season. How likely?
0: Uh, eight.
1: Eight, you reckon? Yeah, eight or nine. I'd be eight so surprised if he's said the okay. next season. So we're assuming Conte's not going to be there. How likely is it that they can find someone of the same level or better than Conte this summer? No because chance. I feel it's very unlikely. I mean, there is... how many, Do you how think many Luis manage... Enrique's of that level? No. No, no. like how many like managers are there who's two good, two as, good as Conte?
0: Fact, like no one. And we have the problem with Luis Enrique, actually, that... Because because of what was up Barça, we don't really know how good he is.
1: Leonardo Jardim from Monaco, yeah, upgrade or or equivalent, or or is it a downgrade? downgrade? a downgrade.
0: S- sarri will be a good appointment, but I still don't think he's as good as Conte.
1: Um, his English, supposedly better now yeah. than it was, which suggests he he might be keen in a move to England. However, um, I know that I know f- I know f- for certain that sarri has been
2: keen on a move to England for a long time. Watched an awful lot of Premier League. And used to tell the players at Napoli that he really wanted to manage Tottenham. He wanted to replace Pochettino if ever Pochettino was leave. So it's
1: something that Sarri's had an eye on for a while. And then, you know, you've got a new manager coming in. That's maybe the time when you give. I mean, I guess the managers don't actually have that much input to the player signing the recruitment, as we found with mm. Conte, and Mourinho. But that might be the time to buy a big player. But it, it, when it was the last big splashy signing Chelsea made?
0: I mean, even Morata doesn't really feel like that.
1: Does, it, it, the, N'Golo Kante was, like, player of the year, Kante but he didn't even feel no. like a big splash and of signing. And they got him because of a clause as well. It was
0: inevitable he was, ne- was going to go, Jesus, have I to I mean, go. it should be Murata. Really. It should be Morata. Yeah, mm.
1: And actually, you know what? We should mention Murata because coming out of that game where Lukaku really stood up in a yeah. big game, as as Critch said, we had Alvaro Morata again. And uh, you know the problem with him is he needs just the proverbial backside goal, whatever. He scored a wonderful, it was a beautiful Mm. finish, which was obviously flagged for offside. What do you think about his struggles? You know, it does feel as if Chelsea are going to have to go in for a striker this summer.
0: Well, Lewandowski having gone to a new agent.
1: Yeah, well, and and an agent that's close to uh, Real Madrid and Chelsea. You know, that's one that that I think is interesting. Uh, But do Chelsea go out and buy a 29, 30-year-old Lewandowski?
0: Like this could be the sort of deal we're talking about in that sense that they just wake up and uh, <laughs> No,
1: I I mean I agree it's just the c- It's funny that because it would completely kill both Giroud and Morata if
0: yeah. they were going to get Lewandowski.
1: But and also the whole point has been that they, you know, they're buying younger guys, mm. wasn't it? They? They're buying younger players who they could would turn into stuff. Um I'm slightly concerned about their Courtois hazard Especially contract if they don't get situation. Champions League this season. Well, yeah, and now, I mean now the the power is hugely with the camp of both players mm. because they're going to be like, well, let's wait and see if you get top four. Because if they don't yeah. get top four, then you've got Courtois with a season left on his contract and no new deal in place, mm-hmm. no Champions League football. It's going to be difficult to get that deal done with Real Madrid looming. Yeah, and, and Hazard. And uh, Hazard, from from Hazard what, also what, expire next summer.
0: From what I've been told, United there's no fears United right now about Real, about De Gea and Real. De Gea.
2: Uh, what? What? Because they think that Courtois will go to Real
0: just it's uh, uh, not saying that they think uh, that he's happier okay. that he's uh, uh it's not the same pressure that has been saying summer 2015 or 2016.
1: Yeah uh, our understanding was that Real Madrid have have told United that that's a player they'd like to be kept abreast the of their situation but it's not I think it's imminent I think Courtois just looks a, mo- a lot more likely because you know mm. he's positioning himself very strongly as well for that move you know he's Say, he's got all the leverage I think we're going to see it more in American sports it's already happened where the big players who know their value elite talents, mm. they can really push the envelope on these contract situations because if you just let it tick down like Meza Erzil did, suddenly the leverage is huge and you can make massive it, massive it, it, how hard of cash. do you think
2: Hazard how hard do you think city
1: will come in for Hazard this summer
0: uh, someone who knows Hazard very well um has been saying that they Guardiola actually thinks That, that would be, that'd it. be, be it, I Abramovic, couldn't see it happening.
2: Abramovich has never, ever been strong-armed yeah. for a player that not, he wanted to keep hold of. By yeah. any club. But
0: That's actually an interesting point in terms of contracts because if you look at a club that, now, they're very good at negotiating but they are kind of almost the most susceptible to being strong and armed because of recent history and all that, but Tottenham, and they've probably been smarter with contracts than everyone else very. because they get in very early even when there's time left. If a player's performing well even when there's time left from the deal, they basically, they offer them that well, no, knowing players in most cases will, will accept the immediate wage yeah, rise. Always. but, but it's and, it, and it just kind of prolongs their... Uh, Notable
1: exception, the guy you've written about today.
0: To- Toby Alderweireld. Yeah, well, yeah.
2: In- interestingly on that, I know that um, someone close to S- the Spurs dressing room told me recently that all the Spurs players say that Toby-, Toby is the only one who's got the club by the balls in the sense that with all the other players... The club is really in the position of power and they're offering these kind of small wage rises every every year which generally the players Mm -hmm. always sign up to whereas because toby's got this 25 million pound clause which kicks in in the summer of 2019 if he hasn't yet received a new deal and because he is legitimately asking for basically three times his current salary because his he's he's so outperforming what he's currently paid he's in a position where he's got no reason to sign anything Tottenham put in front of him and if he doesn't sign anything, then Tottenham basically have to sell him this summer because they know that, you know, you'd rather, you'd rather sell him for £50 million in the summer of 2018
1: than for £25 million in the summer of 2019. Absolutely. And, and presumably no confidence that in that, that year gap you could get a deal done because he doesn't need to take it.
2: Right. Why, w- why, would he ex- you know, why would he accept a small pay rise when City, Manchester United, Real Madrid, Chelsea, whoever could offer him three times what Tottenham currently pay him? Um, Is that what you think, Miguel?
0: Yes.
1: Broadly, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> going back to Man United-Chelsea, uh, just before we, we do move on to the game that you were at, anything from the actual game on the actual green pitch inside the white lines that stood out to you? Um, I'd say Scott McTominay yeah, looked Mourinho quite you were very
0: tidy. impressed with him. The love only grows, apparently.
1: I love it when he grows.
0: No, the, the love only grows.
1: Oh, the love only grows.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, I, I love thought... Love grows where my McTominay goes.
1: I thought he was decent. I thought, uh, I mean... The, their defending for the goal was very un-Mourinho. They were all over the place. The back four was was a shambles. Well, McTominay actually lost. McTominay loses his runner. Um, Valencia is keeping everyone on side. They really were at sixes and sevens. The entire d- defensive line was all kind of working on, on different principles, I think. Uh, very nice goal. Incredibly brisk counterattack. And Willian, who was getting criticised, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago by Chelsea fans? has suddenly come up big. Yeah, he was really,
2: really good in the, in the one all against Barcelona last week. What really impressed me about Willian, amongst other things, is how quite a lot of the time you'll feel like he's not really Chelsea's first choice at the start of the season. Like the start of this season, for example, they are playing that 3-5-2 with Hazard, and, uh, Hazard and, and Murata, And yet Willian always forces his way back into Chelsea's best team. There's not really that many players like him in the Prem who are that technically good. That fast, that consistent, defensive work rates. He's kind of a complete modern winger, really. Mm. The
1: depth that Brazil yeah. have in that position going into the World Cup is frightening.
2: And I also think, I mean, we'll, we will touch on this later, but I think Willian is the kind of player who can su- cause City serious problems on Sunday because obviously Fernandinho is injured. And Fernandinho's City's only defensive mid- midfielder, really. And given the damage that Willian can do in counterattacking those positions, if City are going to play Gundogan there, who is a good player but can't defend, then they could be in trouble.
0: That, that's one thing I thought United were actually very good at in the second half yesterday. That because the first half there've been a few occasions when Spurs or not Spurs, Chelsea spanned their um, centre halves uh, to create openings, whereas in the second half United stayed attacking but weren't as vulnerable to counterattacks.
1: And, and United turned it round with one goal by Lukaku, which was wonderfully played.
0: It did seem very much a uh, proving a point performance from Lukaku.
1: Well, I mean, he was just he, his all-round play was was superb. Um, the cross for the second was exquisite, right on his wrong foot as well, um, which I think he. I mean, it's obvious he needed this big mm-hmm. game. We, we spoke about it with, with Critch earlier on the phone, but they are now like if they've got. Murata, uh, sorry, if they've got Lukaku firing and you've got the potential for Sanchez the potential for Martial the potential for even like Lingard to come off the bench and do something this it does make United a, a more dangerous team and I think it was Johnny that said to us yesterday that it was kind of the perfect Mourinho United goal because it was just all the expensive <laughs> players kind of coming up with something yeah, at the yeah, right yeah. moment which is exactly how he sets up the team, right?
0: Pretty much, yeah. Now, whether it's a long-term strategy is another issue because, <laughs> because of it's not exactly much of a strategy. All you
1: need is the elite players to keep performing yeah. at an elite level, yeah. but, you know, which is, um, as Real Madrid's showing you, yeah. perhaps more difficult than you think. Uh, Man United, Chelsea, anything else you want to add before we move on to the game of the weekend?
0: No, I think I was just impressed with United resolve.
1: Yeah? No, I mean, I... I I really didn't know going into the game what to expect in terms of result or like it, it, intensity. It was, or... it was a lot
0: more open than I expected. Yeah. I thought it'd be much cagier a game. But I think that comes down maybe to actually that that might be one way that all this public spat, which we so hate, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, actually had a positive effect on the game.
2: In the sense that both managers needed to win. Both managers would more want, yeah. It right, kind yeah, of yeah.
0: maybe overrode some of their uh, instinct for such games. You yeah.
1: you, you needed a statement win even if it wasn't a statement performance didn't you um because fundamentally if it was 1-1 which you know it looked like for a time you weren't sure how much it helped anyone now Chelsea are two points off Tottenham uh they're four points off Liverpool they're six points off Man United um wow I mean it's it's going to be difficult for Chelsea to get in there it really is probably gonna end in tears for them
0: like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com
1: people today. Uh, but anyway, let's go to the top of the table uh, where Manchester City champions elect are already looking at a double and possibly a treble jack. Um, what were your thoughts on I say dominant.
2: So dominant in the second half. I thought the City were actually really poor in the first half. Yeah. Uh, it was funny because they, they did something which they did quite a lot last season, which is playing De Bruyne, David Silva, Fernandinho and Gundogan in the same midfield, which is something that Pep is kind of addicted to because he loves midfielders. But kind of counterintuitively playing four midfielders made City worse in midfield. I thought they were really, really poor. They didn't keep the ball well. They didn't pass it well. Like the goal came from a goal kick kind of out of the blue and a, Miguel and I were we were discussing this like a better team as yeah. in Tottenham Liverpool maybe Chelsea on their day could have beaten City yeah. yesterday City were very beatable but of course Arsenal couldn't do that and then yeah. the second half City turned it on well, and, and took, the, f- took the game away from them
0: that should be one of the most frustrating things for Arsenal but also they did seem to um, start the game with a workable game plan that that you know could have caused City more problems uh, I mean, because I think they did quite well when they played City last time at the Etihad. and They did lose the game, but this was, that was a City on better form, and now a City on worse form. They might have had more joy against, but then, typical, first of all, they conceded a goal they never should have conceded. That, as Wenger himself admitted, was self-inflicted. Whatever about all this nonsense about whether Ruggiero fell, Mustafi, which I don't agree with. And secondly, not just that they self-inflicted, but then it was the effect of that goal on them, because it was it as if after that they were still trying to Execute the same game plan, but just all conviction had gone out of the team like after that. It was kind of this is done
2: Yeah, it was really poor how there was no second-half response from Arsenal at all mm. Well, I gave up
1: they gave up uh, you guys didn't hear it but everyone else who who is listening probably watched this on on sky mm-hmm. and The last 20 minutes of the game was essentially a Gary Neville Diatribe against Arsenal to the point that it felt almost prepared, you know, that he feels almost personally let down and offended by the lack of e- the lack of effort from from the Arsenal team in the second half.
0: The weird thing I say about Neville in these situations, um, and not a great, he's a brilliant pundit, but he always goes for the players over the manager. Like, did he did he directly criticize? He went Wenger for
1: He went for everyone.
0: Did he, direct, did he directly criticize Wenger yesterday? Because he's, he's, he's always been averse to doing that, and I I think it's just because of the culture he grew up with and yeah. basically having Fergie as the uh, mm-hmm. the kind of this patriarch of the club. And
2: Completely beyond reproach, yeah. right? And therefore instilling this idea that all problems come down to players because you can't possibly blame a top manager. Yeah.
1: But also, it, it, I mean, he has been both. Um, and I think that as a player, like he... You know, he uh, uh, he said this extensively. Kind of, he went out there and did the job that he was told to do, yeah. and they and they won games because of it. Now, if he played in a worse team, perhaps he might not have the same view. Yeah. But he went out and he did his job that he was told, and they won games. Whereas he was manager at a club where players didn't follow instructions necessarily, and they lost a load of games. And perhaps that's maybe even more so cemented his view that actually players need to take criticism sometimes ahead of anyone else. Yeah. You know oh, like
0: this. The only thing is, like, this is now, and we're gonna we're gonna do a piece on this. Um, well, I'm gonna do a piece on this today. Basically, uh, what what sums up a lot of this is the centre halves. Wenger has signed so many, and they've all eventually had the same problem. And if it's this common with this so many players, and it's going through so many, it's been this has been going on for a decade now, really. This, this Arsenal situation, and it's got progressively worse. Given 2008, they were actually quite good, um, but there was still some of the fundamental familiar issues there. If if it's this familiar, then the problem isn't all these different players. The stereotypical um, softness
1: have- of an Arsenal central defender was completely shown in a nutshell by that Mustafi mistake yeah. for the goal, which they replayed a lot post match and analysed. And I think it was Jamie Redknapp who was having a go at him because they were coming out from a corner and he didn't run back from the corner. And basically, he never got goal side. He never at no point was he goal side of of Aguero. And eventually kind of just stood in front of him. And Aguero didn't do anything. Like yeah. you know, I can't believe... I, I can believe you'd a- appeal for it because you're embarrassed. But he a- appeals for the foul. And then sprints towards the ref when Aguero scores. Faster than he ran back <laughs> from the corner. Which is... It looks terrible. Obviously the optics on it yeah. are awful. But it is a problem that you've identified. That the centre-backs that are Arsene Wenger buys do not get better. In fact, they get worse.
0: Well, Why do you think that is? Well, pe- People close to the club say... um, just lack of coaching, yeah. There's just not, not enough, to, and it is amazing with, with Steve Bowl there, given what a defender he was, um, and kind of what, a, what an organizational figure. But again, it, it, I suppose you do get the sense that anything he can do is still kind of overshadowed by just the general structure and what, what Wenger is yeah, trying to do. yeah, he
2: can't like he, he cannot install a coaching ethos yeah. when where one doesn't exist yeah. when he's not the main man, and
0: he can, he can, he can only do so much. I remember, I remember, uh. Ian Wright telling me once, basically, that one of the things that always stood out for him was with the defence he played with, which was the arc- yeah. Arsenal defence, was that, say it was 1-0 in the game, or he said it was particularly the case in title run-ins. And when, they, when you get to those, that situation of the season where you just have to do your job, just get the win and keep going. Tony Adams used to be brilliant for saying, right, at a certain point of the game, everyone just dropped 10 yards. And like, just, there was just that inherent structure there in players that knew what to do. Whereas this is a defence that that doesn't know how to do that.
2: No, there's no no idea. I Mm. remember Tony Adams famously once said about Arsene Wenger that he couldn't coach his
0: way out of a paper bag. (laughs) And yeah, it seemed ludicrous at the time, but... (laughs) For
1: all his post-career criticisms and and curiosity, Sol Campbell, you know, was supposed to be one of the best leaders as a centre-back because, you know, what did he say the other day? I'm one of the most intelligent minds in the game or something. He did have the intelligence to read games and basically boss around the people in front of him and and the thing is you know look at players players do listen if you're a senior figure in the side they're going to listen to you and maybe it's a case of those successful arsenal teams the defenders ran themselves you know it Mm -hmm. wouldn't be the first time we've seen that sort of thing in a football team and they did it to great success but
0: there was a george graham as well to be fair they kind of put that structure on them as well right but
1: by the time it was invincible i mean you can't you can't put that on being pre-Wenger because Wenger had been there for mm. seven or eight years by that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can say that in the last 10 years, there's so ba- so basically not a sing- w- not a single defender's arrived w- at the club. W- and
0: once everyone from that 90s era Arsenal defence had gone, they started to have these defensive problems, which, yeah. <laughs> which I think says a lot.
1: Yeah, and it, and it, you know, it obviously doesn't work now. It is almost like I kind of, I'd expected when Wenger leaves Arsenal to, them, them to have this sort of dip, this post-Wenger dip, mm. and, you know, I think they're almost having it now. Okay. I actually think when someone comes in, it's going to be a, f- a kind of a, a fresh boost for the club. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I
2: think so. There's a f- it's like, gone it so far. It, it won't be, I think that's a really good point. Because it, it won't be like Ferguson, where there's this kind of like collapse, basically all yeah. this kind of vortex. I think in reality, they will, you know, peop- a good new manager who can give them a bit of spark, a bit of direction, organization mm. should actually improve them in a way which is the opposite of what happened
1: when Sir Alex left United. Yeah. And they're pre-filling the power vacuum that would be yeah, within yeah. Terms yeah. Of in terms of decision-making within the club on the key yeah. elements of, you know, the, the guys they've brought in recently. It does suggest, do you think, uh, if I was gonna say, does he go this summer? Does he go the summer after? What are, you, what are you going for?
2: Well, he's, I mean, there is a theory going around that he's actually, he's gonna bring it forward and go this summer. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, this, has been, this hasn't been confirmed by anyone. There will always this there is, will always be these theories I mean, the, because the, yeah. just
0: the caveat to what we're saying here as well is that it's been the same story now for the last three years. I mean, it's, it's it, and I think that's probably more accurately reflective of the situation that it is right now. Just as it has been for the case for the past three seasons, it is about fifty fifty. That you know, depending on how things go, depending on his mood, he he yeah. could decide. Um, I I I would imagine yeah. even. Just like last season, even he himself doesn't really know at the moment.
2: Yeah, well, the, for the listeners, the theory going around is that although Wenger signed a two-year deal last mm. year, Arsenal wants to avoid a situation like last season where they had a season that was dominated by "Will you yeah, sign? Yeah. Will you quit? Yeah. Will you sign? Will you quit?" And therefore, if he were to, if Wenger were to step aside this this summer at the end of this season, mm. they would avoid having a season dominated by speculation and could therefore get the new guy in. Um, whether or not that will happen, I don't know. I mean, it hasn't been. Well, when
1: it's when when it's the big the big one, when it's a decision of that magnitude, like and the only one like it is Sir Alex Ferguson yeah. retiring. Sir Alex Ferguson revealed later that that decision was taken in December with yeah. his wife Kathy, and the real story that took that one over the edge into people knew it was happening was. Um, Dave McDonald at the Mirror did a story about Fergie's Mm. hip-hop, meaning he was going to miss the start of the season. And that's when it began to unravel. But that wasn't until, I think, March or April. Yeah, it was March, yeah, yeah. March or April that year. So the thing with with Wenger going is, if that decision has been taken, uh, which would make a load of sense. I completely agree, actually, with the reasoning, saying, yeah. it, you know, is last year is so toxic because everyone knows the contract hasn't been signed because you'd announce the new contract, you know, and if you're a PLC mm-hmm. or whatever, you have to announce the new contract. Um, I know they're not, but it's one of those things where we know it's got three months remaining and the results are bad. Can we keep him? Like, it's difficult to announce a new contract when you're four games without a win, you're sixth place in the Premier League, whatever, as they were last year. I appreciate you want to avoid that. So if that decision has been taken at the highest level last summer, there's probably only a gaggle of people like three or four strong that know about this. Yeah. But any time from now mm-hmm. is when you expect now the d- things to start falling into place. D-
0: d- d- although to be fair, it was, it was up until May last season that they, they, still, they still didn't know yeah. whether he was actually going to sign. And in
1: 2014 but as well.
0: And it, people are, you know, people that help yeah, make, no, really make the close. decisions. No, I know. Um, well, but the one, uh, the one thing it uh, indicates about the League Cup final as well is it shows maybe how ludicrous is almost a word the situation it is at arsenal that <laughs> winning the league cup in terms of the mood towards him staying wouldn't have made any difference just as winning the uh the fa cup in the any in three to four last seasons didn't make too much of a difference in the, in the mood either i mean it, it still doesn't escape all yeah, the issues completely.
2: and also like you know i don't see how i know last year they came sick because they won the cup they could just about sell the new contract to the fans but this year they're obviously you know they're, they're now not going to finish the season mm. with a trophy unless and they win the, the Europa s- League and what if they come sixth again like how can they ju- how is, can you is, justi- there any, is there they're not going to finish how sixth? can you justify keeping having an, an Arsenal team finish sixth two years in a row like, no was fifth last year Actually, remember. sorry fifth yeah. last year in a season when they've just like uh, yes they've lost Sanchez but they've also tied Ozil to what £350,000 yeah. a week deal
1: that Ozil deal we said at the time is always going to be judged actually probably not on what he does at all but on the direction the club goes in the next two or three seasons. Mm. And if Wenger did stay for another two years, in which they finished sixth both years and lost a couple of finals, whatever, then that is going to be seen as the rewarding of mediocrity and, and lazy players, right? Whereas, you know, if someone else comes in and they return to the elite, whatever, then it's going to be seen as like a sign of mm. strength and the fact they've held down one of their best players. Days like yesterday when, you know, Gary Neville was laying into the players that weren't running about and he obviously was implying you know the the usual suspects it just feels like you know it becomes a stick to beat the club with even though I think university everyone agrees that the Ozil new deal was important for them Mm. because it is a player that they need Um, there's also you know he's talking about running and stuff fundamentally there was a thing at Sloan Sports Conference this week that showed that Lionel Messi runs kind of one of the least in the Barcelona team but but his ability to draw players, you know, an economy of movement. And if you look at, there was a metric they were showing where the top five players in terms of least movement, but economy of movement were all kind of elite players, Mm. showing, I guess, that it isn't necessarily all about the running. Anything else you want to add on this game before we move on? Man City? I mean, what Uh, else is there to be said about Manchester City this season? Well,
2: I mean... Touched earlier on the fernandinho injury, which I think will, will probably be an issue in the next few games, although maybe not for the Champions League. I thought Vincent Company was very impressive, um, a performance that I didn't think he still had in him, Yeah. given that, he's only st- that was only his 13th start of the season, I think. Uh, but he was really good. And even though he's probably not going to be, he's probably not going to be around much next season, you think, with Otamendi, L- Laporte, and Stones. How old is Vincent Company now? 31, Turned 32 in April. So.
1: You couldn't see him retiring at the end of the season, I think.
2: I don't know. I wouldn't be massive. It wouldn't be the the biggest shock. Yeah, of course. I can't see him going anywhere else. I'm sure that City want to employ him in some. I think City Football Group surely want to keep him. Yeah, I'm sure he'll he'll still be an employee of City. Whether he wants to go into politics, doesn't he? Whether he'll keep playing next year, I uh, I don't know.
1: He is way too intelligent a man. I think to and City know him and they know he cares about the club and whatever he's been there 10 years now that's right uh yeah he joined in 2008 yeah when he joined i was um working at the hotel where he was living and he every day always took time to like just chat to random people whatever um he actually helped me practice my french which was quite nice but he's like a good intelligent man in the mold of like you know the way that wenger uh, not wenger guardiola and co kept patrick on. yeah Mm. i think vincent company if he decides that he can't do Premier League anymore, if he went and played in the MLS or whatever for a couple of seasons, I don't know. But I wouldn't let him go because he has sporting director or whatever. Yeah, well, all he's been over doing him. a
2: degree as well in his spare time. What's he I, been think doing? I think it's in business. Okay. Uh, so I mean, he could very plausibly go on to, yeah, to work on that kind of front office side.
1: He, he feels like a man with who, who's extremely capable. I think outside the pitch. Um, and it would be nice, I guess. It would be a very fitting thing for City if they won their first ever Champions League and he was the guy to lift that trophy. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I think all all clubs want to have former players in these big executive roles, right? Like, it's like the kind of... Whether it's by Munich or Barcelona, it's, such a, it's very important to the brand. So that, it's a good look. And to brand that Bradley brings me look.
1: on to something I forgot to talk about. Apart from the Gary Neville rant was... Yeah. Again, you guys didn't see it because you are at the game. <laughs> the... Uh, I mean, I don't think, Jamie, I may be being unfair to Jamie Redknapp here, who, who I like a lot. It felt very much as if he was put up to suggesting Thierry Henry, his Sky Sports colleague, as a replacement for Arsene Wenger. To which Thierry Henry responded, you know, like, I yeah, of course I would like to take over, it would be a dream, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then Sky Sports put that on their website, that story on their website with Thierry Henry saying, yeah, I'd like to take over from, from Wenger and stuff. So it doesn't seem like an accident. (laughs) I feel like if he wanted that story killed, but you know, Thierry could have killed that.
0: Or act a bit more embarrassed, maybe. So so
1: (laughs) he has had, you know, him and Wenger, I think Wenger's called him out a couple of times in press conferences. Henry was the under 18s coach, was it? Yeah. For a little while. And then he turned, his back on that to
0: I, I do something else I've also heard Wenger in general has felt a bit under siege from the media and he felt he has felt in the last few months that former Arsenal players like Henri could have been a bit more kind of you know
1: and by the way if I was Wenger I would feel exactly the same he's made some very very pointed
2: comments in press conferences yeah. about how uh, why should these guys who left Arsenal for money be seen as the true voice of Arsenal and not you know the guys who are still here yeah
1: But it was interesting having Henri in there, I think, in the, uh, what do you call it, the studio, I guess, Um, because he has been a player under Wenger and under Guardiola. And he did gush about Guardiola uh, and his coaching methods and did not come close to talking in uh, in the same way about Wenger. So it's obviously who he he feels is the the greater coach here.
2: I think the problem with Guardiola is that his, remote, his kind of unique career has encouraged a generation of ex-players that they need only the slightest bit of experience. And then they can walk into one to the biggest managerial jobs in the world and probably win the Champions League <laughs> at the first I, attempt. Uh,
0: forgive me for getting parochial for a second. On that, I remember around 2005-06 when there was this trend of people like Marco van Basten getting the Dutch job. And so in the Irish situation, like, oh, if we just give it to a former player, you know, there's a trend here. There's a pattern. So they gave it to Steve Staunton, which was a disaster. But yeah, he's, Zidane's he's done it, though. You know, yeah.
1: Zidane, Zidane was the Real Madrid Guardiola almost.
2: Again, yeah, he he has done it in a in a unique circumstance. Of course, mm. very some unique. of the best yeah. players in the world. Whereas, I think since Pep, you know, whether it's Alan Shearer or Tim Sherwood or actually, frankly, Tim Sherwood had more experience taking that Tottenham job than Pep did at Barcelona or any number of AC Milan managers. Like it seems to be such a kind of glib
1: solution. Yeah, I remember is, years ago, even in. Uh,
0: it's I not best practice, really, is it? Like no, just it
1: certainly <laughs> isn't. Uh, like, I think it was when Palace h- hired Pulis that they had Alan Shearer apply. And, uh, you know, all he had on his CV was a three, four-month spell at mm. Newcastle. Although, did you read in Kieran Dyer's book? Kieran Dyer's book, he said he was very complimentary about Alan Shearer's managerial ability and felt that he was a guy who kind of lost to the game because of really, um, he's a that bad Shearer. spell. He's, he's improved. Mm. He's obviously had a bit of coaching or something. I think he's got a lot better than when he... First, kind of came on on screen. Um, but I think there is this trend with because Clarence Seydorf applied for the Oxford United job a couple of weeks ago and then ended up as he's now Deportivo La Coruña manager, having failed in about three jobs. You do get the premium of if you were a good player, you do get trusted with jobs. Mm. And we're about to see it with Arsenal AC Milan in the Europa League. Gennaro Gattuso's managerial career is essentially a one man wrecking ball of every <laughs> club he's been at. As has you been one of w- them. Um, Pisa. Palermo. Salzburg, I was gonna say FCC on? FCC on in Switzerland, I think that's right. And uh, probably one more, I don't know, someone- it's Perugia as well? Possibly, but he's basically not done very well. And then he was at Milan Primavera, which is just the Milan under 23's team. And then got bumped Ma- up.
0: Managing on pure emotion.
1: Uh, I imagine he's a great motivator, I'll <laughs> give him that. I just don't know if well, he's well, gonna like have the tact of acumen.
2: Like an Italian Owen Coyle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, but like, uh, well, I imagine but he's more Roy Keane. He's actually, more Roy Keane. Yeah. I mean, he is the Italian Roy Keane, right? But he, That's, that's kind of how I would expect Keane was a better be. player for me. Well, yeah, obviously yeah. Keane's yeah. a better player. Yeah. I mean, I like Roy Keane. I've, I think he, but I don't, I don't know what he brought to the, I'd, like, I'd be interested to hear what he brought into the, the managerial team talks in yeah. terms of tactics and stuff. I wonder how much he thought about that sort of stuff. He probably has a very similar view to Gary Neville in terms of you do your job, well, actually, you do your job.
0: This is quite an interesting topic, on in that, and in terms of this whole idea of players who were well, formerly brilliant players who had a great career, and the kind of implicit knowledge that they can transmit what they know. I remember being at a Roy Keane press conference, uh, and I think Ken Early has brought this up before as well, in which he was asked about kind of you know how we can take Darren Gibson on to the next level. Uh, just only as an Ireland assistant manager, now. and it was like you could—he was so enthusiastic about it but couldn't quite articulate what he wanted to say. Um, and I kinda you know he was talking about how Gibson needs to, you know, impose himself more on games. And he goes, Well how, how how do you coach him to do that? How do you do that? And he kinda like, it was quite simplistic his response, because oh, you just gotta, you know, make a tackle or and I well, okay So and I suppose ultimately there it's trying to give a player the know how that you have and some are probably just adept at explaining it. And
1: I've, I've seen Keane kind of talking about this similar thing before. I can't remember who has been scaling about, but basically what he mm. was saying is, in a game, when, when you've got, you're up against a midfielder, such a midfielder, who receives the ball mm. from the centre-backs and wants to turn and pass it, you know that what he wants to do is turn around, look up and hit a pass. Mm. All you have to do is if you nip at his ankles every time he gets the ball, even if you know you're going to get yeah. nowhere near the ball, if he feels you slam into the back of him every time he gets the ball back to, back mm. to goal, he will pass it backwards. Every single time, and that's kind of the thing I think he was getting at. Yeah, yeah, of and course, he, yeah. And the game I was watching, he was frustrated because they, you know, they were giving this player time to you get the ball, you turn, you look up, and then you can play the pass. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, things like that are more like it's a psychological dissuasion yeah. more than anything because the player could have turned him, it, but it's more of a, it's a, it's a psychological thing where you're making people know who is where.
0: But, but, but there's an interesting thing here as well, and that this is, I suppose the difference between you know great coaches and great players and that and one reason maybe why players who had to make themselves better in a position like Guardiola who had to kind of think about the game and mm-hmm. ultimately and rationalize everything are better coaches but whereas because if you know on an instinctive level sometimes you just do things without having a full comprehension yeah, yeah, yeah. of what strikers a lot of the time yeah, that's yeah. why
1: it's, you know there's a a theory that players like Alan Shearer or or like Harry Kane maybe Harry Kane might not make a great manager because a lot of his stuff is done on instinct or, or whatever, or like Filippo Inzaghi, who mm. has become a manager and but has had mixed results. Because if you're a guy who thrives on instinct and whatever, you might not necessarily think about what you're doing. Whereas centre backs, you always have the game ahead of them, or defensive yeah. midfielders who are looking and, and analysing the field.
0: We specifically Guardiola's role.
1: Yeah, that's. I, I think that's a really interesting debate. What about Busquets? Mm. I mean, you know, he could be an interesting mm. coach. It's one of the guys, certainly, well, if Xabi they went Alon- into coaching. Javi Alonso, Alonso is one, is one that the, I'm is one of the current
2: players about. who you'd think would probably be the best manager. And he wants to go into coaching. Mich- look how... I mean, another one, Mikel Arteta, obviously, yeah. like, a kind of less good Alonso as a player. But he's someone who has walked from... You know, after retiring from Arsenal, had both Pochettino and Guardiola to the best manager in the Prem fighting to get him onto their coaching mm. staff. Guardiola won it, and he's now kind of in Guardiola's very inner circle, yeah, devising yeah. match match scenarios yeah. with Guardiola, that is testament to the amount of thinking that Arteta has done about football and the sort of football brain that he has on him, which is inseparable from yeah. the type of player that he was. Okay,
0: and on that as well, um, and mo- going off mostly uh, everything actually Xavi's ever said, but mostly his Diego Torres interview, his Xavi Hernandez, I think from the sound of him, he could be a brilliant manager for an absolutely top-level team but because he's so dogmatic, really struggle with anything below that. Because if he has no, if he can just register, it's a the Guardiola player, thing, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe. But then Guardiola seems more, more adaptable.
1: No, no, I, I believe obviously Guardiola is an elite coach mm. in terms of what he's done. Like he has made the three clubs he's been at into some of the most attracting mm. passing football teams I've ever seen. So I don't think you can doubt his quality as a coach. Like anyone who does and puts it down to the players is absolutely insane but I do think there is an element of that you probably need high level technical players to execute Mm. what he wants to do if you put him in a a 7th place team if you put him in Everton what would Guardiola's Everton look like now they probably play really nice football but they're not going to have the level to execute how he wants Roberto
2: Martinez's Everton precisely
1: or like Wigan you know like that's the that's the
2: yeah, that that it's I think template. is a really that I think is the most interesting unanswered question about Guardiola. Yeah, it's also a question that we'll never really get an answer to because, like, why would he go? Yeah. And, why would you why, drop why, down why, level? Why, yeah. why would you go and coach a mid-table team unless for he decides money and
1: not win anything? Unless it's like some hometown team that he really fancies. But mm. I don't think I think you well, know Bre- he's Bre- a Bre- boss he to, to brescia
0: at some point, doesn't he? Yeah. brescia would be
1: cool? I mean, yeah. it would be that would be an interesting football experiment. Yeah, that if you're so rich and so successful, you could go and do it. But. Only Guardiola probably will be in a mm. position. I be like Mourinho going to Uniao or something yeah, like that yeah, yeah. to to see if he can take them rising at the Portuguese. Well, I do thing, think so.
2: Mourinho would be better at coaching bad players yeah. than than Pep would because it's kind of it's more about. Like, well, it's, oh, he'd win League Two in
1: no time.
0: Well, it's yeah. a classic thing of basically it's it's much. E- well, I suppose a lot of footballs, Mourinho has in that kind of fa- famous one of the famous kind of discussions by Igor It's it's football of the week that it's it's football designed to minimise the effect of superior players and... Just minimise risk. Yeah, right. minimise yeah. risk, essentially, that's exactly it, because there's more risk in the game, it's more open, it's going to favour the them. T- is it? Tony
1: Pudis says that, you, know, you mm. know, if you make a mistake with the ball, mm. more often you can see than if you make a mistake without the ball. Yeah, So, yeah. make sure you don't Well, have yeah, the well
0: ball. and the classic point I'm actually getting, I suppose, is uh, if you're not as good as the opposition, you don't go toe-to-toe with them. You yeah, do, yeah you, completely. You, you just frustrate them. Um,
1: on which point, we've gone completely off arsenal Man City, though uh, it was as uh, we said, an interesting final for a number of reasons. Um, there were, unbelievably, other games this weekend. Um, Tottenham beat Palace 1-0, so they uh, continue to be in their hurricane, once again coming up with a goal in the big moment, but it could have been 6 or 7. Um, the biggest, most impactful result from Saturday, which was a, a pretty dull slate of games, Liverpool smashed West Ham and looked pretty good. You know, they really. Mm-hmm. And David Moyes said that Attacking-wise, that's the most problems almost that any team's ever given him. But the big deal, I guess, is West Brom losing at home to Huddersfield, losing 2-1. Alan Pardew isn't going to go. He's, they, they're giving him the Watford game. Um, it sounds like the lack of credible alternatives is p- proving a huge problem, mm. which is something we saw with Stoke and Mark Hughes. Does that beg the question, what do these clubs see as a credible alternative? Because... Given they've got no new manager bounce with with yeah. Pardew, what could be worse? No,
0: no, i was actually just thinking that. I mean, you know, wouldn't you? If you're West Brom now,
1: would you have pulled the trigger after this Huddersfield defeat at home? Yeah.
0: At this point, given the cost of going out for the Premier League and how certain it looks likely they'll they'll go down at the moment, given the current situation, yeah. now is actually when it's completely justifiable. To do a kind of a pick a anyone, a, a, yeah, there's a bit of a just, just take a bit of a punt, yeah, Gen- like genuinely anyone, yeah. They are in a hail mary situation.
1: Well, I would just go to Ireland and be like, can we have Roy Keane <laughs> for three months? Because if Roy Keane motivates
2: you, yeah, boys, yeah. the problem Tim is they're
0: Joking here, yeah, because it does. It that's exactly. It, it does feel as if like like with Stoke, they waited and waited because they want the perfect kind of medium term appointment. Mm. But but if they don't get that now, they're actually they're going to completely do their short term.
1: And, and they're now on the bottom two. Stoke mm. and West Brom. West Brom are, are seven points adrift with ten to go now at the top of the table like yeah you know, it's harder to make up points than it is at the bottom of the table obviously but you don't got you don't get 20 points from 28 games and then make up that sort of mm. gap so it does feel as if West Brom are toast um you know that they they have they have all agreed the UK side and the China side of the club have agreed to give Pardew the Watford game um and they have to think about the long-term consideration, I guess, if they do get relegated, you might want to keep Pardew because he would be a very good manager for the championship, potentially, Mm -hmm. I guess. But you've got to look at it like, this is a club that are going to get relegated probably 95% likely, I'd feel. You have to roll the dice, don't you, on the 5%? Mm.
0: Actually, on that, yeah, completely, I agree. And they are, it's it's particularly bad for them to be in this situation because... It's not too long ago since they were seen as kind of this, vibe, this really good model again. It's similar to Swansea and Southampton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, they, they must be in the top half of the table in terms of uh, how long they've been in the Premier League. Well, I think they've been out of it for about three
1: of the last 15 years. But, but you,
0: you know, even t- since, they, since they were last out? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, uh, yeah,
1: no, there's been a lot of turnover. I mean, and this changes on a weekly basis because it's so tight, uh, the relegation picture. Swansea, who were completely revived under mm-hmm. Carlos are now back down to 18th. So they're below the line again. They're level on points with Palace and Southampton, who were two points behind Newcastle, who threw away what would have been a massive win against Bournemouth. Um, Huddersfield on 30, West Ham on 30. Brighton on 31 looks safe almost now. The way they've turned it around, we said in January they needed goals. They brought in Jürgen Licardia for a club record fee from PSV. He got his first goal. Glen Murray got a double. Uh, Knocker, who's been troublesome. Uh, like When you see him play, he does play well but he's actually started scoring goals again, which is crucial.
0: Here we go. West Brom have been in the Premier League longer than 11 clubs currently in it. And since six of those, actually seven of those given Everton as well. So what the, top,
1: the top, Man City United, Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea, Ever- Arsenal, Everton, Leicester. Right. Not, Ever- not Leicester. Not Leicester. Arsenal, Everton. And Stoke. West, uh, oh. So actually Stoke and West Brom, mm-hmm. two, it's two of the longest serving clubs could end this season. And, and, you know, you can't even say Stoke are going to go down because they're only one point behind mm. yeah. three teams on twenty-seven. Um, so, it, yeah, you know, talking about the relegation picture, as I said, is, is impossible because it's such a mess. But the West Brom situation is curious because, again, it's a club that's been taken over because of their Premier League status, because of the wealth that the TV rights deals bring in. And I think we're going to see a plateauing as well mm. of those TV rights deals. So some of these clubs that brought in thinking it's going to be an endless cash cow. We've seen what happens when foreign owners pull out and a lot of the times it's it's very... Unpleasant mm. for clubs. Can I go? I yes. <laughs> I <do> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. okay. So, uh, in fact, <laughs> we'll all go. That's uh, Jack <laughs> Pitbrook dashing out of the studio. Gonna, are we going to leave that in? I think yeah, leave it in. Why not? <laughs> nice, bit, nice bit of colour. And uh, <laughs> so, that's uh, the life of uh, a busy <laughs> sports journalist, Jack <laughs> Pitbrook, uh, off to meet uh, an important contact um, from him <laughs> at Wembley yesterday. Uh, may I say thanks? Uh, Miguel, thank you for coming in. Thank you. And uh a reminder, that Manchester United versus Sevilla is next week, or maybe the week after. No, it's the week after. Um, And we've got a little bit of time running left on that competition. So if you go to our uh, reviews on iTunes, if you subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review, you will automatically go into the draw to win a Sevilla shirt from our friends at New Balance. And, uh, you know, it's a prize for listening. And uh, if you don't like the podcast, um, then remember, you can always get a refund. Uh, Until (laughs) that point... Uh, I've been Ed Malian. This has been the Indie Football Podcast, and we'll see you next week.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.